Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. I'm delighted right now to be sitting down here at the Reader House Author Roundtable with author C.L. Black Jr. C.L., welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. There's a new book out in stores that you've just put out. It's called Fundamental Rules for Kindergarten 101, My Paradigm of How to Become a Genuine Human Being. So, C.L., can you tell me about this book? Sure. It's basically a book that was designed to, you know, if we could go back and remember back as far as kindergarten, it's rules that I kind of developed and wanted to basically apply them to, like, everyday life as an adult. And, you know, over time, I, it's something I wanted to focus on, and then it just became more of a project, and, and I got a little bit more serious about it and came up with, you know, enough material or content to uh, put something out there. Hmm. Who are you reaching out to with this book, CL? What kinds of readers do you think would be really into it? Well, I think that given, you know, most of my observations of most human beings this day and age, anybody could benefit from it. <laughs> Seems like I run into individuals on a daily basis that maybe could benefit just by sitting down, you know, either reading or doing the audio, however you, the best way for you to pick up on some self-help material. A lot of people do it, you know, with the audio version these days, but mm. it was designed as, you know, a short piece of work, you know, maybe an hour read just because, you know, anytime you're doing things that revolve around self-accountability, self-help, these types of things, I think, you know, from an attention span, it can get overwhelming. And so it's more of like a reference tool, something that you may want to come back to from time to time. Mm. CL, was this your first time writing and publishing? Yes. I call it my baby, but like really it's kind of raw. I mean, compared to where I'm I'm writing at now, you know, if it was on a scale of like one to 10, probably like a four, <laughs> <laughs> I just had to get something out there and be more proactive. It's been a calling of mine for some time now. And I just wanted to get something out there to get me started and basically practice what I preach. <laughs> <laughs> How long did this book take you, CL? It was probably the better part of maybe like four months consistently in the mornings for about 20 to 25 minutes. I kind of blocked off a period of time that I used to use for um, or utilize for like meditation or different types of like audio things I would listen to, whether it would be motivational driven type pieces of work or audio Bible or whatever. I just kind of use that block of time for my writing now, which I wasn't doing before. This was kind of like something I came up with better part of a decade ago when I was going through like a rough time and then I just kind of followed through with it and it got me where I needed to be as far as getting into a routine 
to uh, write more material. So like right now I'm working on, I think I have like five projects going on with my publisher, Fulton Books right now. And I'm into my seventh one right now. I just oh, haven't wow. given them the sixth one. But the second one is actually my next 24, which is actually, ironically enough, it came out before Fundamentals because I, I went back to Fundamentals and I had to change some things. I wanted to change some of the examples. So my next 24 kind of simultaneously came out at the same time. <laughs> What advice would you have now for people listening who are the authors who are just starting out? They're just about to embark on this journey of writing books and being published. I don't want to sound cliche and say, you know, just live your dream and <laughs> do it now. But generally, most people do things in life because it's like they have some type of internal calling or they get their butts in gear because something happened, you know, along the lines of catastrophic nature, you know? Mm. So most people that are going to get involved with this are going to fall into one of those two categories. And I just have to say, just follow your heart and try to make some time. If it's that important to you, you'll, you'll find the time in your day to at least devote maybe even five minutes and get you started and start training your brain to get into some type of routine on a consistent basis. Good advice. Well, the name of this book is Fundamental Rules for Kindergarten 101, My Paradigm of How to Become a Genuine Human Being. This is written by C.L. Black Jr., and it's published by Fulton Books. You can grab this one up everywhere, like at Amazon and at Barnes & Noble, iTunes and Google Play, plus traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, C.L., thanks again for joining me here at the show. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm delighted right now that here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm speaking with authors Nancy and John Chase. Nancy and John, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here tonight. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. It's exciting. You have a new book. It's out in stores now. It's called Under the Potted Rose, A Journey of Discovery. Can you tell me what this is all about? Well, it's basically about an 18-year-old girl came from a rough background and she's kind of tough and doesn't know love and doesn't know the Lord. And she doesn't get to graduate high school because she skipped class. And so her principal gives her a choice either to do a 50-day assignment or to come back next semester and redo the class. And so she opts for the assignment. And then the book is all about the adventure of how she discovers love and being loving and accepting love. Hmm. What sorts of readers were you reaching out to with this book? I think anybody that's been hurt. There's so many kinds of dysfunctional families, and you can even be hurt as an adult. Anybody that's hurt and thinks they're unlovable doesn't know the Lord. So not just young people, but really anybody that needs to heal. And this was a co-authoring effort. John, can you tell me about your role in the book? At first, it was just support. She read me the first chapter. And I was going, I really love how this was going. And then she told me she had written it, and I was going, really? <laughs> and then I prayed a little, and I go, you know, I could get into this, because in our lifetime, we both have seen people that have issues, and how coming to the Lord has really helped both of us. And we were praying that we could reach out to others. Nancy, what was it that sparked the idea to start writing this book? Where did the idea come from? It was pretty much a download from God. He gave me the whole outline of it. And the main character in the book, Sarah, she's actually taken from, we used to live out in Colorado, and, and this 
young girl was our newspaper girl. She'd come by and deliver the paper and kind of hung out a lot at our house. And she had come from the background that I wrote for Sarah. And we just helped her a lot in forgiving her mother and forgiving things that she had done herself and just helped her to heal. Hmm. She ended up being the main character in the book. How long of a process was this from, Nancy, whenever you first started writing it, clear up until it got published and hit stores? Well, I kind of started when we were missionaries down in Panama, but then God decided to move us back here. So it sat on the back burner for about a year. And then I picked it up. And once I picked it up again, I think we were finished in less than six weeks. Hmm. And then had some friends review it and give us some input and then started the publishing process. Do you have any advice for those listening right now who are just about to embark on that same journey themselves, go out and publish for the first time? Just do it. I was really afraid and, you know, afraid of failure. What if nobody likes it? What if I only sell three copies? But it really doesn't matter. If you're doing it, I think, with the intention of helping people, just do it. Just be brave. John, what would you say that you would offer as advice to those aspiring authors? Anything that you're going to do in life, you need to apply yourself. Don't be afraid of being made fun of because you never know what you really are going to do to impact somebody else's life. Mm. There's nothing like seeing the product of all the hard work that you've put in. So what was it like whenever you got that first physical copy in of Under the Potted Rose? You got to hold this thing that you worked so hard on. It's just amazing. You know, you take something that's in your head and all of a sudden it's physical right there in front of you and you can share it with people. It's a whole new creation. We always do what we call the happy dance. You remember Snoopy? (laughs) (laughs) We sort of danced around celebrating. I love it. Nancy and John, who do you find inspirational in your life? Who keeps you motivated or encouraged along the way? God. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, pretty much God. We just live to please him and just listen to the Holy Spirit follow his lead. And me, John, God is my mother. She always had faith in me. I know this book is going to help and encourage a lot of people out there. And I encourage my listeners to check this out. It's titled Under the Potted Rose, A Journey of Discovery. This is written by Nancy and John Chase. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can pick this one up everywhere, of course, at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and down the street at your local bookshop. Nancy, John, thank you for joining me tonight, telling me about your work. I had a nice time talking with you. Well, thank you very much, and God bless you. The Parable of the Coal. This is the new book. It's in stores now, written by Matthew Swan. And Matthew is sitting right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we're going to chat all about it. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me tonight. It's great to be here. Thanks for letting me come. It's my pleasure. Matthew, what can readers expect in The Parable of the Coal? What I wanted them to expect is just kind of a short story that helps people maybe feel good about not carrying a grudge. Let me put it that way. Hmm. What kinds of readers were you reaching out to with this, do you think? Generally, it'd be the older people. Those are the ones who tend to, you know, seem to carry a grudge and then they let it affect their own life. And many times I found that, you know, the person who offended them really had no clue that they offended them and just went on with their life and never got affected by them trying to show, well, I'm going to show you type of an attitude. Matthew, what sparked the inspiration for this book? What gave you the idea for it? 
It actually started from my son told me a story that's called the parable of the coal, where he had met an individual who, of all places, got offended at church and was going to show them and not show up at church. Mm. And uh, when he relayed this story to them of the parable of the coal, it changed his life. And so what actually happened then is I thought that would make a great poem. And so I sat down and wrote it in a poem fashion. And then later on, an individual said, that would make a great book. You should write a book. So that's kind of how that got going. Hmm. Now, before you wrote and published The Parable of the Coal, Matthew, have you ever done anything like that before? I've written poems before, but never written a book. So this is the first one for me. Was the whole thing a long process for you? Actually, it wasn't. This idea came to me really quick, and I probably had it written in less than 40 hours. Wow. What was the most challenging thing then about the publishing end of things for you? <laughs> publishing was probably going through the editing of it mm. and everything else, you know, having to get the licenses and everything else going on there. It's, for me, the easiest part was actually writing the book. Mm. When that day finally came, Matthew, you got the first hard copy in of The Parable of the Coal. What was that day like? I was so ecstatic on that one. It was just wonderful to get it and read it and see that something had finally been put together that I can go and share with people. Hmm. What are the chances we'll see more books from you in the future now? I don't know. I've contemplated about taking a lot of my poems and trying to put them into a book. So we'll see on that one. But nothing right now in the works. A lot of people listening to us right now, Matthew, are authors just starting out, the aspiring authors out there. Do you have any advice or words of wisdom that you could offer them? Probably the best advice I could give somebody is don't let other people knock you down on this. To actually just go through and do it. And it's amazing. If you get a good publisher there, it's just amazing what they can do. And you guys have been wonderful helping me to put this together and that. And it's just a great teamwork on there. And so just don't be afraid of going forward with it. That would be my advice to them. That's great advice. Matthew, you mentioned teamwork, and it's certainly hard to go about something like this alone. Did you have people around you in your life who knew you were taking this kind of thing on and they were there to support you? I had a few people on that one. Uh, one individual who actually wrote one of the recommendations there in the book was the one who actually told me, you need to write a story and put this in a story format and that. And so that was really kind of inspiration because he has written books and had books published. So coming from him, I was like, oh, okay, good. I've got a cheerleader on my side. It's mm, important. Now, Matthew, now that you've done this for the first time, what's the most rewarding aspect for you of now being a published author? Probably when I talk with people who have read it and they've come back and said, you know, I just loved your message. I learned a lot from it and I learned that I need to give up holding grudges on that one. And so it just makes you feel like, hey, I made a difference in somebody's life. And when you sit down to do some reading, Matthew, what kinds of books do you find yourself drawn to? I like history books or feel-good books, books that help lift me up, elevate me. Those type of books, not really into the scary books or horror stuff or anything like that. I just like, I like the feel-good books. Mm. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this book, and my listeners should check it out. The title is The Parable of the Coal. It's written by Matthew Swan, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Matthew, thanks again for coming on the show and telling me all about the parable of the coal. I had a really nice time talking. Same here, and I appreciate you taking the time. The Family Child Support Conspiracy. 
This is the name of the new book. It just hit stores. It's written by J.C. Street, and he's right here with me now to chat all about it. J.C., welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me today. Well, it's my pleasure. Can you tell me what readers can expect with the family child support conspiracy? Well, this book is basically about how Congress injected a stimulus response theory into our family court system, which advertently impacted our social, cultural society, doubling our divorce rates, creating uncertainty about our children's paternity, and empowering our worst and private states to misuse tens of millions of dollars in child support payments. What kinds of readers were you reaching out to with this book, JC? Well, hopefully Christians and definitely Christian leadership community, mm. pastors, elders, clergymen, those who counsel families that are in crisis. Hmm. And what sparked you to sit down and start writing this book? What inspired you to do this? A few things. My siblings also inspired me to do it. And this is a desire to let people know what was in this system and to help families through their crisis. In your opinion, JC, why aren't things like this discussed? They're such important issues. They seem to be swept under the carpet. Yeah, because it's tabooed. I've been in the system both as a custodial parent and a non-custodial parent. So I know both sides of it. For those who are in the system as a non-custodial parent, all the guns are basically pointing at you. So what's happening is you're being shamed. The general public believes that over 90% of families or males most of the time, custodial parents, do not pay child support. And the fact is only 6% don't pay. So it's not it's something in the church, especially the clergyman, we all believe that you should pay your child support. I mean, that's just the basic thing you should do for your child. You brought them here, you take care of them. Mm. But that's not the issue. The issue is, is that no one's talking about it because they're too embarrassed to admit they're part of the system. And in both sides, the male and the female. So as you read the book and you go through these different scenarios, if you're in the system, you see yourself. And unfortunately, sometimes people are at a point where they participated but did not realize the consequences of their participation. Because this thing filters down for generations and generations and generations. And the only thing it really does is keeps us in poverty. For your family members, you, you should want the better for your, your children as you have for yourself. That's the same for me and my family. This is really something that's slightly different. I've heard a person, a bishop, make a statement over the pulpit years ago. And I said to myself, does this person really understand what they just said? And if they had the opportunity to read this book, they would be surprised how much they would change their answer about that. Because it's not about a person's paying their child support, but it is about the amount of money that this system is generating. Mm. It's crazy. Texas alone, two years ago, generated billions of dollars, the highest amount of money collected in child support history in the pandemic. This book explains how they did it and that they continue to keep doing it, and other states are starting to follow it. At the same time, the disparity with those who are in the system is widening. Why? Because the money is not going to the children. The money is going to the state that the children are living in. So it's phenomenal. So the more information you get about it, the easier it becomes to say, hey, this is not something for me. There must be another alternative. And the last thing you want to do is go to a person who's supposed to offer you guidance, like in a church, prison, society, and you go before your pastors, your elders, and you, know, you and your, your spouse and say, we, we have this financial issue problem, what should happen? For them to give you misguided information. So I think they should read the book and become responsible for the information. And this way, when, when they, they, they still might say the same thing. Say, yeah, you still should go to the system. That's fine. And that's what they say. But I can't guarantee anything. 99% once you read it, you're going to say, no way do I want my family to be a part of the system. Period. So if, if I can get that done, 
I feel very confident that once they read it, because in the back of the book, it has all the statistical data from everything that I say stated, the resources guide, it gives you exactly where to go to get the answer from the government, not from me, mm. from the government on their websites. And it's pretty astonishing that the information is out there. But as I said, if you ever want to hide something from a person, put it in a book. So hopefully we can reverse that trend and get people to read this book and, and get the help that we need. Absolutely. Well, this book tackles some really important issues, and I encourage my listeners to check it out. It's titled The Family Child Support Conspiracy. This is written by J.C. Street and is published by Covenant Books. You can find it everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. J.C., thank you again for joining me here tonight and telling me all about your really important work. I had a nice time talking with you. Thank you. When God Came My Way. It's the new book. It's out in stores right now, written by Dave Zimmerman. And Dave's sitting right here with me now. We're going to chat all about it. Dave, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, and thank you so much for joining me. Hey, my privilege. Glad to do it. Well, I'm glad to have you here, Dave. Can you tell me what readers can expect with When God Came My Way? What can they expect? <laughs> you know, that's a good question. I don't know. I spent a long time putting this together over a period of a couple of years. I don't know. For me, it was just, uh, I just felt I had to write it, get it down. And for me, it was an accomplishment of, of looking back on it and saying, uh, I can't believe all those things really happened, but it did. And I thought, well, maybe somebody else can read it and say, I've experienced something similar to that. And maybe it would bring them closer to God in some way. I guess that would be one of the things that I hope would come from it. Dave, was the writing of this book something that took you a long time? Yes, it did. I, I must have gone to this thing and then gone back and back and forth. Yeah, a couple of years, probably, back and forth. Have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing a book or publishing? I've written uh, over 30 books, mm. so it wasn't a, a, a new experience from that standpoint, but certainly new in terms of what happened to me. Well, Dave, you're a veteran author. To you, what's the most rewarding aspect of knowing that your work is out there for the world? You know, that's an interesting question. I have a lot of my books have been given to people, and the selling was quite profitable. But the reaction I get from folks is quite interesting. Mm. Like this book, several people have read it, and I would expect, geez, I, that's an experience. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> but that hasn't happened. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you wonder, did you read it? Did you get anything out of it? Did it mean anything to you? But I think the point is I got something out of it. Have you thought about what's next? Do you plan on writing more, publishing more? Yes, I've got two more books that are in the publishing stage right now. I've written a lot of books on the Green Bay Packers, so that's one of them that's out there to be published. That's what I do in my hobby now that I've been retired for some years. Yes, writing is about, that's what I do. Mm. <laughs> that's about all I do these days. Mm. Dave, does the moment ever get old? Does that feeling ever get old whenever you finally get that first physical copy of the book that you've been working on in and you get to hold that thing for the first time? What's that like? No, it never, it never gets old. And when people make some comments on it, you know, when the book sales are good, that's a good feeling. But I think just the fact that you look at it, you've written something that's going to last forever. And that's quite a feeling that's a good feeling. But the bottom line is it's a real good feeling to be able to have done it and achieve some success. Hmm. Well, Dave, drawing from all your experience writing and publishing here over the years, what's your best advice for those listening right now who are the aspiring authors and they're just about to embark on this journey of writing and publishing? A lot of people have asked me that question. I've helped a few people write their own biographies and background. I would say to those thinking about it, just do it. 
there's always someone can clean it up for you. I mean, you just write it the way you feel it should be said and then find somebody to help you clean it up, brush it off a bit, and uh, maybe correct some of the things that maybe need correcting. But I would just say jump in and do it. Mm, good advice. Now, you're quite prolific when it comes to writing, Dave. Do you ever get writer's block? Do you ever deal with those times when the ideas just aren't coming? <laughs> oh, yes. In fact, I'm, I'm in one right now where it's three quarters done and it just sticks there and I can't quite figure out what the, it's a novel I'm working on it and it's kind of stuck on me. But yeah, I, I would say you get writer's block from time to time, not as much as maybe some folks do. Mm. What's your strategy for maybe getting those ideas going again? It's all around you. My goodness. There's so many things around you that you can pick up on and write about. I always felt that I would write something that was of interest to me. And as it turned out, you hope that maybe if somebody reads it, it's of interest to them as well. One of the books I wrote about was a hero of mine growing up as a Green Bay Packer. And the fact that I got a chance to spend time with him and write about him, talk to him, his family, his kids, was a real treat. One of those things that you don't get an opportunity to. And that would be the only time that me would be able to sit down and talk to somebody of that caliber. Hmm. Well, I think this book is really going to reach and help a lot of readers. It's titled, When God Came My Way. It's written by Dave Zimmerman, and it's published by Covenant Books. You can find this book everywhere, of course, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Dave, thank you again for joining me here at the show tonight and telling me about this book. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I Used to Be Nothing. That's a new book. It just hit store shelves. It's written by R.J. Greer. And the author, Rebecca, is right here with me now to talk all about it. Rebecca, thank you for joining me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Hi, yeah. Thanks for having me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to have you here. Rebecca, what can readers expect in I Used to Be Nothing? Well, it's a book about how science reveals and affirms God as our creator and the aspects of his character. What kinds of readers were you reaching out to with this? Well, I'm hoping my target audience were older children, teens, but I also hope that adults will find interest in this book, too, and not just people who go to church, were raised in the church, but even people who just don't really know what to think about the church or God, just kind of a broader audience, too, I guess, not just church folks or people who believe in God. Hmm. Rebecca, can you go back and think about what sparked you to write this? Where'd you get the idea to write the book and then publish it? Yeah. So I homeschooled our three boys when they were younger, and we went to the library often. And my middle son, Levi, loves animals. And he actually rented a book. It was huge, like eight and a half by 11, and every page was full color and all about animals. But it was all about animals from an evolutionary timeline perspective and thought. And I was just like, yeah, no, we're going to take this back. And, and he's just like, why? But it's all about animals and I love it. And I'm like, well, we'll talk about it. You know, this is a theory of evolution and we don't believe that it happened this way. And I'd rather tell you guys about that before we read about it in a book. And I'm like, I could write a better book about how God created all the animals. And I just kind of was saying it off the cuff to my little children so that they would just be okay with taking this book back. And they're like, Mom, you should do it. It'd be awesome. Like, <laughs> you teach us science so well, and we love it. And then my youngest, Silas, was like, yeah, and you can call it I Used to Be Nothing, because the book that Levi picked was I Used to Be a Fish. Mm. That was the title. So that's where the origin came from. 
And you know, once you tell kids something like that, they won't forget it. They're going to hold you to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they have. <laughs> Is this the first time you've ever done anything like this when it comes to writing and publishing? Publishing, yes. I have a blog that I spent quite a bit of time writing different shorter pieces on, and they weren't meant for just kids. It was just kind of an older audience, um, teenage adult audience. Um, just talking about faith and what we believe and why we believe it and what it looks like to live that out hmm. instead of just being a religious person. And then, okay, so this is the first time, yes, that I have actually sat down and wrote a longer piece and got it published. How long of a process was it for you? Did it take a long time to do? Well, it did. It was kind of an on and off project. Like I mentioned, my kids, we homeschooled them. So I really wrote the biggest part of it while we were homeschooling. So it took me four years on and off because there were just time periods where I couldn't really sit down and focus on it or research it the way that I wanted to because I needed to teach my kids. So yeah, it was kind of an on and off four-year process. Mm. And after that four years, Rebecca, tell me about that moment when you got the first hard copy and you got to look at it, hold it in your hands for the first time. Yeah, it was really surreal. It just was kind of like, I can't believe it's here and I have it. And it still is really surreal at this moment because, you know, not many people know about it. It's my first work. So I don't have like this reputation of an author, but it's really fun. I have some fans that have been praying for me through this and have encouraged and supported me through it. And so having them say, I want my first signed copy, I, I want a book, you know, that's been fun. But it's still very surreal for me, even now. Like, even with you at this interview, it was very, like, surreal. <laughs> <laughs> I think this book will really help bring some clarity to the faith and science discussion. It's called I Used to Be Nothing. It's written by R.J. Greer, and it's published by Covenant Books. You can pick this one up everywhere, like Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Amazon, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Rebecca, it's been wonderful having you on the show here tonight. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Corey. It's been a pleasure. I'm really excited to see what God's going to do with this book. There's an inspiring new devotional out in stores right now. It's written by David Wesley Reed. It's titled, Prospering on God's Promises, 365 Days of Faith-Building Devotions. David is right here with me now, and we're going to chat all about it. David, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here. What can readers expect in this book of devotions, David? Well, I'm hoping that as they make their way through, they start to feel more optimistic and positive about what it means to be a believer. I think Christians are on the defensive a lot these days, and it's really disappointing to see that because God has so many wonderful promises for us, and I'm, I want everybody to feel spiritually enlivened by it. David, was there maybe a certain group of Christians that you were speaking to with this, or was it more of a general audience? More of a general audience. I think everybody can profit from feeling better about their faith. I'm hoping also that people who are kind of marginally Christian will appreciate more of what Christianity has to offer, and that overall it will introduce people to the great promises of the Scripture. Hmm. David, what inspired you to write this book? What sparked you to sit down and begin writing? Two things, really. I, As I said, I have been increasingly disappointed in the fact that so many Christians are questioning their faith. They're under a lot of pressure in a secular culture that we live in. Mm. 
So that culture was really uh, weighing on me. And I thought, what a, what a shame that, that that's the case. But in truth, I began to write about it because I was praying one day after I retired that God would continue to use me. I, I wasn't physically able to maintain the senior pastorship that I was holding just because it was getting to be too much. But I wasn't ready to go out to pasture either. And so I was praying one day, and the Lord, as clearly as I'm talking with you, said to me, I want you to write a book on my promises. I always test that kind of thing out because you never know whether it's your voice or God's voice. But I waited on him, talked to others, and the desire to do that grew stronger and stronger. So I knew it was from, from the Lord. And it took me about two to three years to make my way through it all. David, it sounds to me like if I were to sit down to write 365 separate devotions, it would take me forever. Was that the case for you? Well, I really committed myself eagerly to it, and I just went about it very diligently every evening. And when I started out, I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, this is a formidable task. But it kept flowing. I kept getting more excited, and before I knew it, it was done. Mm. And when that day came, David, you finally got that first physical copy in, and you got to hold it. You got to look at this thing that you had written and created. What was that moment like for you? It was incredibly exciting because it was like giving birth to something that I've wanted to do for a long, long time. When I was active in ministry, mm. I never had the time to do this, but it really allowed me to put on paper a lot of what I've been thinking about for a long time. And when I put it in my hand, it was like, I can hardly believe it. It feels mm. good. David, have you given thought to writing and publishing more in the future now? Yes. Uh, this is my second one. And my third one, I'm almost done. It's been This one has been in the process of going back and forth through editing and the like for about a year. And I've been working on a third book now that's probably a few months away from completion. Hmm. It's going to be titled Close Encounters of a Divine Kind. I'm sure you've learned a lot along the way of writing and publishing. It's sure a lot of work. So what advice would you have to people listening right now who are the aspiring authors? They want to get their books out there, too. Well, be diligent, be patient, and wait on the Lord, because it's a lot of work, and finding a publisher and going back and forth in the process of design of pages and editing of content and things like that just takes an awful long time. Mm. And I feel that I'm going to be leaving a legacy that people will use long after I'm gone, and that feels good. Mm. David, was there ever a time when you were writing this and it just got tough? Maybe you got some writer's block or maybe you just didn't know quite what to write next. And then how did you get through those challenges? Well, it happens frequently. And sometimes I just took a few days off and just let it go to rest. I get my mind rested for a little while. And at other times I, I prayed and the writer's block, so to speak, never lasted longer than three or four days. Hmm. Well, I know this is a book that a lot of people are going to find helpful and inspirational in their lives, and I encourage my listeners to definitely check it out. The title is Prospering on God's Promises, 365 Days of Faith-Building Devotions. It's written by David Wesley Reed, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. And of course, you can grab this one up everywhere, such as Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. David, thank you again for coming on the show and telling me about your work. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. There's a new book. It's out in stores right now, written by Gilman Jeffers. It's called The Christmas Rabbit. And I'm really happy that Gilman's sitting right here with me now to tell me all about it. Gilman, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for being here. Pleasure to be here, sir, and an honor. Thank you. 
Well, it's great to have you. Gilman, what can readers expect in The Christmas Rabbit? <laughs> well, it's an adult fairy tale about the commercialization of Christmas and Easter. Because it is a fairy tale, it is littered with characters that we'll all remember from our childhood. Red Riding Hood, the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, the old woman who lives in the shoe, Jack and the Beanstalk, and a few others. How did you get sparked to write this? What gave you the idea? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Many years ago, when I was living with my significant other, we had a rabbit, and her name was Flopsy. And at the time, we were living in Florida next to a wildlife preserve called Bibbins Arm. And this wildlife preserve was basically a lake, and it was chock full of alligators. And I used to let my rabbit run out in the backyard and run around. One Easter, my significant other went home to see her family, and I was alone. I had the rabbit, and I just let it out running around. And this alligator came charging out of the water and almost got her. Oh my and I was thinking to myself, because it was Easter, thank God she's not the Easter bunny. <laughs> and that was the germinating seed for the story. Hmm. Did this book take you a long time to write and then get published? Actually, it did. I had some interest when I first started it. It was originally supposed to be for the significant other that I thought I was going to marry. It was going to be a wedding present. And I had a publisher looking at it, and they said, you should probably write something else first because you're going to step on a lot of sacred cows. Mm. But I it was something that I couldn't put away. Unfortunately, the woman I thought was going to be my wife, that didn't work out between us. So it kind of got set aside. And every time I tried to revisit it, I was always thinking about her. So it took me a long time to get her out of my system before I could go back to the book and actually finish it. Mm. So you have written before this, Gilman. What does your writing background look like? Mostly short stories in minor publications. I've never published anything major like this before. This is a first-time effort for me in regards with that. And I am very thankful to the people at Newman Springs that they saw enough interest in this that they thought it was worth their while to go ahead with it. It's taken me a long time to write. I hope it is funny, as well as being a satire on the commercialization of Christmas and Easter. It is also, hopefully, a critique on racism and stereotyping. I hope I made those points well. We will see. We'll have to let the reader judge that. Do you think there will be more books after this? Oh, absolutely. I am working, actually, it's finished. I had written them, actually, on a, an old version of Word Perfect. Oh, wow. Which doesn't translate to anything in the modern world anymore. So I'm retyping them now in, in Microsoft Word, and I hope to get it out to Newman Springs within a couple of months. And I am also working on a satire on nature of evil, as seen through the eyes of Dracula. I want to do a satire on Dracula. I think he's funny. Hmm. I'm sure you learned a lot along the way of writing and publishing for the first time, Gilman. So what words of advice would you have to those listening right now who are also about to embark on that same journey? Never give up. We all are faced with self-doubt. We look at some of the stuff we write and we say, this is trash and I'm no good. And you just have to get beyond that. You just have to keep plugging away. And if you're true to yourself, the truth will come out in what you write. Mm. It may not be everybody's truth, but that doesn't matter. All that matters is that it's your truth. Let the reader think of it what they will. You're not writing for them anyway, really. You're writing for yourself because it's something inside of you that just has to get out. And sometimes when you're writing, it gets tough. You might hit writer's block or maybe you just get stuck for ideas. So, Gilman, what do you do when you face these tough writing challenges? I pray. 
first off. Then I either grab my fishing pole and go out fishing, or I grab my crossbow and I go out hunting, depending upon what the season is. Something comes up. I know a lot of readers are really going to love this book and should check it out. The title is The Christmas Rabbit. It's written by Gilman Jeffers, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. Of course, you can pick this one up everywhere, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Gilman, thank you again for joining me and telling me all about your work. I hope we get to talk again sometime. I hope so, too, Corey. Maybe on the next book. It was a strange year for Santa. That's the basis of the new book in stores now, written by Gerald Pritt. It's titled, How Mrs. Claus Saved Christmas. Really delighted that Gerald is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we're going to chat all about it. Gerald, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's my pleasure to have you. I'm curious, How Mrs. Claus Saved Christmas. Can you tell me about the book? Well, I don't want to give away too many secrets, but it's a book that I uh, basically thought about. Uh, it came off of a song that I wrote a couple years ago. I kind of dabble with the guitar and little piano, and I come up with a Christmas song, and it sounded like it'd be a good storybook. What kinds of readers do you think would be into this book, Gerald? Well, this is mainly for, a, it's, a, it's a children's graphics book, so it's for the young age, you know, little kids like to look at the pictures, little kids that are starting to maybe learn how to, how to read, and the parents will read the storybook to them, and then as they get older, or they can read it to themselves about that age, two, three, you know, years old, four years old. Hmm. Gerald, is this your first time in the arena of writing and publishing? Yes, it is. This is my very first time, and uh, I hope it goes well. <laughs> Well, so do I. Did this book take you a long time to do then? Well, I had the story in my head, believe it or not. I'd had it in my head for like six years. And then I really started to get serious with it. And it took about, I don't know, four months to get it down on paper, to get the graphics, the pictures done by a wonderful lady out of California that did the graphics for me. So overall, about four months total to actually get it down. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the illustrations. They look fantastic. So that was a pretty smooth process for you. Yeah, I think it was. I found this lady off on the internet because I didn't really know where to go and how to do it. So I found her on the internet. I told her what I wanted to do, what it looked like. She sent me back some sketches and we talked back and forth and she sent me sketches back and forth. And she's really good, very knowledgeable and easy to work with. Well, that's fantastic. So after all that time and hard work that you put into this, what was it like when you finally got to hold that first physical copy in your hands? It was exciting. It was like, oh, look what I did, look what I did. It's <laughs> <laughs> one of them things that, you know, you, you wanted to do and you never do it, but then when you finally do it, you're really, it's really happy about it. And the, the book really came out. Fulton Books did real good about putting it all together for me. I love the cover. I love the size of the book, the pictures, the colors, and everything's great. Gerald, what are the chances we'll see a sequel to How Mrs. Claus Saved Christmas or maybe another kind of book from you in the future? Well, I've already got sequels in my head, and, and I don't know if you know too much if you read the book. I hope you did. I introduced a new reindeer. Her name is Ruby. She's a cosmic reindeer, and she's in the book, and I'm hoping to spin off with that with her. Hmm. Being your first time writing a book and having it published, Gerald, I'm sure you learned an awful lot along the way. What words of wisdom do you have for people listening who are wanting to publish their first as well? Well, I think it takes patience. You can't get it all done in one week, <laughs> mm. you know, or, or uh, set your time frame a little bit further out because there's always glitches on the way. So you can't expect to be out when you exactly want it out. So just be patient. Great advice. 
Gerald, what's the most rewarding aspect of this for you now that you are a published author, you have your voice out there for the world? You know, I really like it because my grandkids like to read it. Mm. <laughs> and just to have it out there, I just, I want to hopefully sell it and, you know, maybe make some money, you know, to retire on. But like I said, I, I enjoy doing it and I definitely want to create some uh, other books. I want to be able to get that done. I'm just being the first one, the overall process of now the financial aspects of it, you know, how, how does that work? How's the role money coming in? Stuff like that that you don't even think about. You just want to get it out there, you know, and you know how much it costs you to do it. So now you got to go, okay, now I want to get a second and third one out there. And now it's just a process you just have to do. And I, like I said, I enjoy it. And I wouldn't mind retiring from my regular job and do this full time. Absolutely. Well, if you're like me, you're also curious as to how Mrs. Claus saved Christmas, and I recommend that you pick it up to find out. The book, of course, is called How Mrs. Claus Saved Christmas. It's written by Gerald Pritt, and it's published by Fulton Books. Of course, you'll be able to find this one everywhere, like at Amazon and at Barnes & Noble, on iTunes and Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Gerald, thanks again for joining me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable and telling me all about your work. I hope we get to talk again sometime. I hope so, too, and I appreciate being here. Appreciate it, Corey. I Used to Be Nothing. That's a new book. It just hit store shelves. It's written by R.J. Greer, and the author, Rebecca, is right here with me now to talk all about it. Rebecca, thank you for joining me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Hi, yeah. Thanks for having me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to have you here. Rebecca, what can readers expect in I Used to Be Nothing? Well, it's a book about how science reveals and affirms God as our creator and the aspects of his character. What kinds of readers were you reaching out to with this? Well, I'm hoping my target audience were older children, teens, but I also hope that adults will find interest in this book, too, and not just people who go to church, were raised in the church, but even people who just don't really know what to think about the church or God, just kind of a broader audience, too, I guess, not just church folks or people who believe in God. Hmm. Rebecca, can you go back and think about what sparked you to write this? Where'd you get the idea to write the book and then publish it? Yeah. So I homeschooled our three boys when they were younger, and we went to the library often. And my middle son, Levi, loves animals. And he actually rented a book. It was huge, like eight and a half by 11, and every page was full color and all about animals. But it was all about animals from an evolutionary timeline perspective and thought. And I was just like, yeah, no, we're going to take this back. And and he's just like, why? But it's all about animals and I love it. And I'm like, well, we'll talk about it. You know, this is a theory of evolution and we don't believe that it happened this way. And I'd rather tell you guys about that before we read about it in a book. And I'm like, I could write a better book about how God created all the animals. And I just kind of was saying it off the cuff to my little children so that they would just be okay with taking this book back. And they're like, Mom, you should do it. It'd be awesome. Like, <laughs> you teach us science so well, and we love it. And then my youngest, Silas, was like, yeah, and you can call it I Used to Be Nothing, because the book that Levi picked was I Used to Be a Fish. Mm. That was the title. So that's where the origin came from. And, you know, once you tell kids something like that, they won't forget it. They're going to hold you to it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they have. <laughs> Is this the first time you've ever done anything like this when it comes to writing and publishing? Publishing? 
yes. I have a blog that I spent quite a bit of time writing different shorter pieces on, and they weren't meant for just kids. It was just kind of an older audience, um, teenage adult audience. I'm just talking about faith and what we believe and why we believe it and what it looks like to live that out Hmm. instead of just being a religious person. And then, okay, so this is the first time, yes, that I have actually sat down and wrote a longer piece and got it published. How long of a process was it for you? Did it take a long time to do? Well, it did. It was kind of an on and off project. Like I mentioned, my kids, we homeschooled them. So I really wrote the biggest part of it while we were homeschooling. So it took me four years on and off because there were just time periods where I couldn't really sit down and focus on it or research it the way that I wanted to because I needed to teach my kids. So, yeah, it was kind of an on and off four-year process. Mm. And after that four years, Rebecca, tell me about that moment when you got the first hard copy and you got to look at it, hold it in your hands for the first time. Yeah, it was really surreal. It just was kind of like, I can't believe it's here and I have it. And it still is really surreal at this moment because, you know, not many people know about it. It's my first work. So I don't have like this reputation of an author, but it's really fun. I have some fans that have been praying for me through this and have encouraged and supported me through it. And so having them say, I want my first signed copy, I I want a book, you know, that's been fun. But it's still very surreal for me, even now. Like, even with you at this interview, it was very, like, surreal. (laughs) (laughs) I think this book will really help bring some clarity to the faith and science discussion. It's called I Used to Be Nothing. It's written by R.J. Greer, and it's published by Covenant Books. You can pick this one up everywhere, like Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Amazon, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Rebecca, it's been wonderful having you on the show here tonight. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Corey. It's been a pleasure. I'm really excited to see what God's going to do with this book. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.